worship and praise. Glorifying God is part of our culture, amen? Goes back to our roots. The Lord Jesus came, God's Son, God manifested in the flesh, lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years, and was killed and died an unjust death, but God allowed it to be the payment for every sin ever committed. What's the worst payment a person can pay is, is their life, right? Capital punishment is the worst. And he gave his life. And then he conquered death, showed his authority by rising from the dead, proving himself alive for 40 days. And on the day he ascended, Luke 24 says, he told his followers that were with him to go wait for the promise of the Father in the city of Jerusalem. Stay there until you're endued with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Shalom, y'all. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, their last image of him was them speaking blessing over them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. We say a sin. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually, can we say constantly, in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Yes. Amen. So Luke also wrote the book of Acts, and he begins the book of Acts with this story, gives a little different insight where the Lord really encourages them to be endued with his power. They'd be power to be witnesses. He's ascended to heaven, and angels promise, hey, he's coming back like you saw him go away. Who's looking for that day? They went to the upper room to have a meeting to decide who would take Judas's place because Judas offed himself. Then Acts 2 happens. A church is born, and people assume, oh, that must have been in the upper room. Really? The text here says, daily they were in the temple praising and blessing God. So this outpouring of God's Spirit happened in the temple, in a public place where thousands could hear, 3,000 of whom became believers there was over a dozen mikvahs there. They could be baptized that day. And it's all in what? An atmosphere of praising God constantly. They did this for 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit came with a rushing, mighty wind. But the Lord make us constant worshipers. We may not be here all day every day, but we're with Him all day every day, are we not? Constant worshipers. Amen. Can we show some love to our praise team today? Thank you guys so much. Tristan Mack is here to sing a song to kick off the sermon. Can we show Tristan some love? There must be lights burning brighter somewhere. Got to be birds flying higher in a sky more blue if i can dream of a better land where all my brothers walk hand in hand tell me why oh why oh why can't my dream come true oh why there must be peace and understanding sometime strong winds of promise that will blow away all the doubt and fear if i can dream of a warmer sun where hope keeps shining on everyone tell me why oh why oh why won't that sun appear We're lost in a cloud With too much rain We're trapped in a world That's troubled with pain But as long as a man Has the strength to dream He can redeem 
heart there's a trembling question still i am sure that the answers answers gonna come somehow out there in the dark there's a beckoning candle yeah and while i can think while i can talk while i can stand while i can walk while i can dream oh please let my dream come true oh. right now oh let it come true right now oh Thank you. Thank you, Tristan. Thank, Thank you so much. We shared a bit of redemptive history of Christ coming to earth. Preceding that was a series of dreams, God-given dreams and visions, prophetic experiences, night visions. And yes, unredeemed mankind dreamed, daydreamed on their own with their imaginations of a better day coming. Christ is that better day, folks. Don't be lured into the world's distractions. Those things lead to destruction. First comes a distraction, then comes the destruction. But through Christ, you have hope. You can be free to dream again. Now, you have to filter them, seek the Lord over them. I went through a season of my life where I had so pursued my man-made dreams, it led to nothing but disappointment that I began to develop a theology that taught dreams were evil. And a young single guy came to see me one afternoon in our condo in Las Colinas. Yeah, we lived there one time, a townhouse. And he rebuked me in love, said, no, God gives us the ability to dream you somehow got ahead of him in pursuing your dreams rather than pursuing him for your dreams and uh, neglecting the dreams he has given you. And don't stop dreaming, but let the dreams move you forward into prayer. So our hope is in Jesus. It's not in our dreams. Amen? So turn with me to Acts 2. We shared a bit of our redemptive history earlier at the conclusion of the musical part of this particular gathering. The Lord ascends to heaven and leaves his believers behind who are worshiping him every day in the temple. And 10 days later, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens during a festival called Shavuot. It's a celebration of the giving of the law. It's the remembering of the death of David, who was promised a son who would be the Messiah of the world. And now it's a celebration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 50 days after the Son of God rose from the dead during the Passover festival, which is a whole other story. And a crowd gathers because there's a rushing wind in the temple. A crowd gathers. People are already there to celebrate the holiday from all over the Roman Empire. If you look at verse 5 of Acts 2, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Can we say everywhere? And when this sound occurred, the sound of rushing wind, the sound of 120 plus people, maybe 500 people speaking in languages that were not native to them, known to them, the multitude are from other nations who spoke other languages, as well as Greek, the common language of the empire at that time, and Hebrew, common language for Jews, and Aramaic possibly. You know, growing up in a monolingual culture like we are here in America, it's hard to understand there are cultures around the world where people speak multiple languages. So these people came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? I guess they dressed up differently, maybe like fishermen. How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, 
Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome. So we have people from Europe, Asia, and Africa. Both Jews and proselytes, Gentiles, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So what is a person saying when they're speaking in tongues? They're worshiping God. So while they're worshiping him daily in the temple, a miracle happened that day where the worship became in other languages. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking, saying they're full of new wine. It's some kind of new drug. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men and brethren and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose. They're not stoned. They are rock, though. On the most high rock, right? Since, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So it's nine o'clock in the morning. So this thing happened early in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel chapter 2. It shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Can you say everybody? Your sons and your daughters. Can you say females? Shall prophesy. Can you say talk? If your theology violates that prophecy, your theology needs another look at it. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants, can we say men? And my maid servants, can you say women? I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Now, this was to be done in the last days the last days of the old covenant as a new one opens here on the birthday of the church. Now we're living in the new set of last days. The promise still stands. That God will pour out his spirit and we will proclaim God-given truth to the nations. That's prophesying. Pro, forward, speaking for the Lord. It's not always involving predicting the future. It can involve that, but it's proclaiming the will of God. Who knows it's God's will for us all. Jesus told the disciples before he ascended in the Acts 1 rendition of that story, verse 8, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. He did not say only the men. You shall be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. And it happened. In fact, it had already started happening. The first witness to the resurrection, she used her mouth, was a woman. <gasps> so the last part of verse 17, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Let's look at that. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, they shall speak for me. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I would like to speak to you today on godly dreams. Can we say godly dreams? Godly. Honoring godly dreams. Joel, that Peter was quoting, said it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After what he had just said. And what was it after? It was after those days. It would be in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Who believes we're living in those days? I want to focus on dreams, though. What is a dream? A dream is basically two kinds of things. It's a series of thoughts, images, and sensations occurring in a person's mind during sleep. Who's had those kind of dreams? 
It can be God-given. It can be pizza-driven. <laughs> or it can be a spiritual attack. Not who's had a nightmare. It could be fear-inspired. That's a dream. But it also can be a cherished ambition, aspiration, or ideal. So there's the dreams that happen when you're asleep and the dreams that happen when you're awake and you're thinking of the future, thinking about what to do, thinking about I need a vacation, and you dream of possibly what you can be. So both things need to be taken to the Lord in prayer because we're pursuing His will, are we not? Some lives have been wrecked by people chasing a dream they had at night while they were asleep, thinking God spoke to them. That's why we need help interpreting our dreams. Now, it's my experience, if God gives you a dream, the details are to help you remember the dream. If it's a God-given dream, you'll remember it. So I really don't hold it. If you do this, I'm not preaching against you. I don't hold to the theory that you need to wake up every time you have a dream and write it down. Man, that's going to be a rough way to sleep. <laughs> if God gave it to you, you remember it. And so the, the details of the dream help you remember it. But every detail of the dream may not be significant. You hear me? It's like a picture frame. The, the essence of a picture is the picture, Right? But a frame helps set it off, helps like a diamond on black velvet, helps, helps reveal the beauty so it doesn't get lost in the clutter of a room. It frames it out. Here is a picture. And so details of a dream may not be the point. The overall picture reveals the point. Years ago when our church was starting, man, people were visiting us like crazy and nobody was staying and I was afraid to get close to anybody because I get my feelings hurt, and I learned real, really then you've got to have a tough hide but keep a tender heart. Some pastors develop a thin skin and a hard heart. I don't want to do that. And so to help me, the Lord gave me a dream one night. I dreamed of a construction site where there's a concrete pump. Who's seen a concrete pumper truck? It's a big pipe coming out of a truck, and concrete trucks are backing up and pouring their concrete into this pump, and it's pumping it into, like they did it here on this slab. This slab's what, uh, 125 by 100 feet? So we couldn't have trucks driving up here, dumping their load in the middle of the thing. That would mess the rebar up. So this concrete pump is being used to uh, deliver concrete everywhere. The rebar's there. There's even pillars of rebar. But the problem is concrete was going everywhere. Why? There was no forms. And I woke up. Now, did the dream mean one day you're going to have a building and it's important to have forms around that? Don't mess up and not have the forms? That wasn't the point of the dream. Was it a pro prophetic one day you're going to build a building and the congregation will and you'll have a concrete pump, pumper truck on the site? No, that wasn't the point of the dream. The point of the dream was this. It came to me. You have to love everybody as a pastor. And some people are not with you for long. Just like in construction, the forms are very important, but the forms are not with you for long. Eventually, the concrete forms around this building got removed so we could put stone on the front. It's... It, it served its purpose. So some people have a purpose to be with you temporarily in your life. Maybe not your, their whole life or maybe not a long season of life, but they have their, their, their purpose. And so that so freed me that I now was no longer suspicious. I was set free to love everybody. And it honestly is, I often will tell a guest this, if the Lord plants you here, great. If not, I hope we are an oasis in your spiritual journey. I love that. A dream did that. Peter had a vision during the day, fell into a trance. You could call it a daydream, maybe. Or, and he sees this fabric come down out of heaven, this sheet that has all these unclean animals on it. And a voice says, rise, kill, and eat. 
And he said, not so, Lord. I will not eat anything, anything unclean. And the voice, which is the Lord, says, do not call unclean what I have cleansed. And the vision was over. And then it came to his notice that someone downstairs had come to see him that was inviting him to go preach the gospel to a bunch of non-Jews, Gentiles, unclean people. He knew the meaning of the vision wasn't to go get him some pork chops, wasn't to go and to develop a hog farm. It was to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. That was the point of the dream. What's the, all that other details in the dream? It's just to help him remember that word that he got when he woke up. Does that make sense? So put away, I, I really am not excited about these dream interpretation journals some ministries are producing. And, you know, if you're on a bus, it means this. And if you're in the water, it means that. I, I just think that can lead you away from what God is trying to say in the dream. Don't get distracted by the details. Anyway, I wasn't meaning to share all that, but anyway. It's a huge subject. The word vision is the act or power of seeing. Who, any blind folks here today will pray for your vision. So it's natural eyesight. It's also something seen in a dream or a trance. We'll see in the Bible, sometimes dreams are called night visions. Daniel had a bunch of those. It's a supernatural event that conveys a revelation, a thought, concept, or object formed by the imagination. So it can either be supernatural or natural, right? Your imagination can help you envision something where you can draw out the floor plan to a building. Like when we built this place, it was, I went for months with sketch paper, just drawing out potential floor plans, and, and I came up with something I liked, then we got input from the congregation, things they envisioned for a building, and then we gave it all to an architect. And then he uh, <clears throat> came up with his concept, putting all those ideas together, and then we presented it to the body again for their envisioning any other changes, and then we came back with a final draft from him. So that's how envisioning can work. Now, envisioning can lead you astray. It can totally distract you. So we want to take everything to the Lord. That's the purpose. And when he fills us with his spirit, we are in an atmosphere where all things are possible, but you have to seek the Lord. Peter, James, and John had a vision. It's called a vision. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. He begins to glow, and appearing with him is Moses and Elijah, and they have a conversation. And Peter got excited, and he had a vision. Let's build three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know, let's start three new religions. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, listen to him. In other words, Peter, hush. So <clears throat> we have to... Present our visions to the Lord and pursue Him. So we're talking about honoring godly dreams. Now, here's some godly dreams in the Old Testament. The book of Genesis, God speaks to Abram in a vision. It's called a vision in chapter 15, at night. Good, call it a night vision. Chapter 25, God warns Abimelech, in a dream at night, hey, dude, you're a dead man unless you give that man's wife back to him. Jacob sees angels, a ladder going up to heaven, and God speaking from the top of the ladder. That was in a dream. Chapter 31, the Lord speaks to Jacob again in a dream, as well as his father-in-law slash uncle Laban in dreams. Joseph receives prophetic dreams in Genesis 37 of his family bowing down to him. That wasn't the point of the dream. The point of the dream was you're destined for leadership. Now, whether or not he should have shared it with his family, who knows? God used it for his purposes, though. When he was a leader, he wasn't prideful or vengeful. All that got burned out of him. He interprets dreams for two prisoners in verse chapter 40, 41. He interprets dreams for Pharaoh's dream that he'd had twice. And he, God speaks to Jacob in visions of the night in chapter 46. In Judges 7, Gideon and Purah are preparing 
300 men to attack their enemy, the Midianites, who have been harassing the Hebrew people for a long time. And so for encouragement, the Lord allows them to sneak into the camp, and they hear some men around a campfire, and one of them shares this bizarre dream of a barley cake rolling into their camp, and Gideon knew the interpretation was God's going to give them the victory. In 1 Kings 3, God appears to Solomon in a dream. And that's where he asked him, what do you want? And Solomon asked for wisdom. In Job 4, Eliphaz is disturbed in visions of the night by an evil spirit. And anything Eliphaz says, I'm suspect of God having anything to do with it. So in our dreams and night visions and even daydreams and even our imaginations that may not be of God, that's why we always have to seek the Lord. Daniel 2, he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dreams as he does in Daniel 4. Now, in the New Testament, Zechariah has that angelic visitation in Luke 1, promising him this miraculous son in his old age, and that in that chapter is called a vision. And then in Matthew, the angel visits Joseph in a dream. The wise men are warned in a dream. Joseph is warned in a dream to go to Egypt. Joseph is directed to return to Israel in a dream and further directed in a dream not to go to Jerusalem. Pilate's wife is warned in a dream. Don't have anything to do with this execution. I had a dream. Who has dreams? In Acts 9, God uses visions to connect Ananias with Saul so Saul could be healed of blindness and be baptized. God gives visions to connect Peter with Cornelius' house. They both had had experiences. We just shared about one. In chapter 16 of Acts, Paul sees a Macedonian in a vision in the night saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That was a call to take the gospel into Europe. In chapter 18, Paul hears the Lord in the night by a vision. And in chapter 26, Paul shares his conversion story as a heavenly vision. Think about it. Other people around him didn't see everything he saw the day he got knocked down. So God speaks to us in dreams and visions. And so as the outpouring of this Holy Spirit is in the earth, so much focus has been given to speaking in tongues, an overemphasis has happened, that we neglect everything else. There's prophecy, there's dreams, there's visions. One interesting story, Andy Duncan, he preached here three weeks ago from Berlin, has a house church going in Berlin, fixing to plant another one in France. He was our youth pastor. But when he was a little boy, he prayed to be filled with his spirit. And it seemed that nothing happened. Christmas morning, he wakes up from a dream, speaking in tongues. So let's just run through the alphabet here about characteristics of godly dreams, what they will involve. Here we go. You ready? Take off. Godly dreams will advance his kingdom. That's why we're always to seek first his kingdom. If your dream is from God, it's going to have something to do with the kingdom of God and furthering the gospel in the earth. It just will. Whether it makes you a millionaire in the process isn't the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose is for the kingdom of God, the increase of his government on his shoulders to never end. Godly dreams may begin as our dream at times. Maybe it wasn't something you dreamed in the night or a vision you had, a trance you fell into. Maybe it's just something you imagined that you would love to do. Godly dreams can begin like that. David imagined the Lord needed a house. Up to that point, Israel had worshipped in a tabernacle, a tent, a portable setup. And he says, here I am living in a house. Oh, I wish I could build God a house. And he began to collect materials that his son assembled we're building the temple. The Lord visited him and was blessed by that desire and said, just for that, I'm going to give you a house that will never end. And he prophesied the Messiah coming through David. So that was a dream that David had, that God saw the godliness in it, liked it, and obviously God knows everything. He knew something was going to come up about. So that's an imagination used for good. Uh, godly dreams will call us into fervent prayer. They're going to be impossible unless God does something. Amen. You just have to pray. 
Sometimes your dream, if it's from God, will torment you. Like, when will it ever be? You know, that's why you run to him in prayer and give it to him in prayer. Godly dreams will demand our obedience. I did not know how Noah uh, was visited by God. He heard a voice, but maybe there was some dreams involved as well. But it demanded his obedience. Build yourself. He didn't say build me. He said build yourself a big boat. So Noah's obedience blessed his family. And if you don't think that happened, why do all the ancient cultures of the world have a flood story and a Noah story? Why? Something common. If it happened, then they all would. Godly dreams will encourage us to take risks, to get out of our comfort zone, to do things we would not do on our own. And this is why it was so wrong for me to just completely reject dreaming. It's wrong because it just created such disappointment in my life. So it locked me into a pattern of going nowhere with my life. God gave you an imagination. You use it for his glory. Now, I know the kingdom of God exists to pull down imaginations, but those are imaginations that are set up against the will of God, right? You need to seek counsel. Don't just take off and start a business without seeking counsel. What do you think? And listen to people wiser than you. What do you think? We used to have a, a guy here in town constantly tormenting pastors with his dreams, things, I got this thing and I want you to do it. It's like, dude, you have the dream. And none of his ideas worked. So he wrote a book, Pastor, get out of the way and make room for the rest of us. We were out of his way. Do it. I did what I could to help him to encourage him, but there was no seeking of counsel. Wisdom. Some of our dreams really are being dreams. If they're godly dreams, they'll focus our lives on God's plans, not our own. Focus our lives on God's plan. They will focus us. It will generate hard work for us. Who knows? A dream can create hard work. That's why dreams inspire us to push through. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 3 says, For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. Some people just talk about their dreams. They're all talk and no walk, as if that's going to make something come to pass, and then get frustrated when they don't. Verse 7 of Ecclesiastes 5, For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there's also vanity. Pride can be involved in it. This is why we seek the Lord, so the Lord can deal with our pride. But fear, respect, highly esteem God. He is God, not our dreams. Amen? Amen. So we're not creating idols. Godly dreams will help others beyond ourselves. It's always for the benefit of others. If your dreams are self-centered, not good. Godly dreams will impact the future for God's glory, not our glory. Maybe you're used as a missionary to open the first church in a foreign country. And then years later, there's multiple churches that you had nothing to do with other than starting the first church. And there'll be people that get all sorts of accolades for their success, and everyone has forgotten you. It's okay. It's for God's glory. Amen. (laughs) Everything is for the Lord's glory. Speaking to somebody today. Godly dreams will join our lives with team players. If it's a dream from God, it's going to take more than you. I mean, let's just think about daydreams. Jesus waited for 30 years before his public ministry began. He had some interaction with some religious leaders when he was 12, and then he was subject to his parents for 18 years. Can you imagine the daydreams he had? The prayers he prayed waiting on God? So much so that when his mama kicked him out of the nest, hey, they need wine at this wedding, he said, woman, my time is not yet. 
If it was me, I'd say, you're getting me too excited, mama. Hold on. I'm dealing with the flesh here. He was man and God. Amen? But in the fulfillment of his dream, he had a team, did he not? The disciples, there was a group of 70 of them, a group of 12 of them, then a group of 500. I mean, it was just awesome. Godly dreams will keep our lives free of distractions. This is how a dream works. Let's say you're on your way to your wedding, your destination wedding in the Bahamas. All right, let's just dream, right? Marrying the girl of your dreams or the guy of your dreams in the Bahamas, and you're at the DFW airport, you're waiting on your flight, but you're hungry. So you go to the kiosk and order a Whataburger. And you know, Whataburger, they don't start cooking with the, until you order, right? That's why their stuff's so good, it's fresh. So you're waiting on your order, and the voice on the intercom says, last call, flight to Bahamas in 30 seconds. You got a choice. Are you going to stay there and feed your short-term dream and risk missing the flight to marry the person of your dreams? Or are you going to leave that temporary thing behind and run and get on the plane? Who's going to win? The God-given dream will win. It will win. But some people, they live for the now. And they will miss the flight. And then wonder why life is what it is. They're not allowing their dreams to be filtered by the Lord through prayer and allowing their dreams to be strong enough to keep them focused so they don't get sucked up into distraction. Maybe you dream on buying a house, but you keep flying on around-the-world trips and then wonder why it doesn't happen. You have to make decisions and prioritize your dreams, which is the most important one. I'd love to fly around the world, yes, but I'm tired of paying somebody else's mortgage. Got it? All right. Uh, godly dreams will look completely dead at times. It may actually die. I mean, I had a dream of being a pastor. I had to just let it die. Didn't want to do it. But children's ministry seemed safe, and it... <laughs> Here I is, 30 plus years later. Yes. Who knew? Your fulfillment is in serving your spouse. Mission feels right there in your house. Godly dreams maybe will maybe only be for a season. Maybe it is a dream that turns out it's going to be scaffolding for someone else. Or maybe it's just an experience you had that uh, God used to reach one person with the gospel. And then that was it. Godly dreams will necessitate humbling our pride. Oh, man, your dreams will set you up to be crushed to where you don't want to dream anymore. Don't do that. I hope this sermon inspires somebody today. Godly dreams occasionally require letting go of the dreams. <gasps> oh, you're my baby, but you have to let it go, right? You have a child. Your dream is for that child to be a certain level of maturity so they're not a detriment to society so that you can be the perfect grandparent or win the mama of the year award or papa of the year. And, but there comes a time where you have to let it go to fulfill your dream. Otherwise, you'll kill your dream by not letting it go, right? Godly dreams will pursue purposes higher than our own. It's not really about me. It's about, it's back to the kingdom, advancing him, higher than myself. Maybe it's to start a business. Do you know businessmen are a tremendous blessing? They provide employment for people who would go hungry otherwise. They just have those kind of gifts. So if they stop pursuing their dreams, we're done for. That's why we don't need to tax the life out of them. Because they, they could just crawl in a hole with their ideas and stop it because it just becomes too much of a pain. So it's God's desire that we pursue purposes higher than our own. 
And if your idea is to start a business, make sure it benefits your employees where you're not just exploiting people. Godly dreams will question our faith and trust. The, there's a verse in Psalms that says, till the word of the Lord came to pass, it tested Joseph. Joseph, you going to trust me? I gave you a dream. <laughs> Keep your dreams to yourself. I'm sure he feels like that sometime in the prison. Godly dreams will redeem many lives from destruction. Back to advancing the kingdom. The world's on a road to destruction. We are living in Romans 1.16 to Romans 2.11. Read that passage. That's where we are. I don't care what well-known preacher says. We are living there. Well, so-and-so had this dream. Yeah, well, the scriptures, I could read you other scriptures warning about people repeating one another's dreams and building cases. In fact, when the uh, Jewish nation was called to go into Babylon for 70 years, Isaiah and Jeremiah both rebuked them for believing dreamers, saying it's not going to happen. It's all going to be well. You know the well-known passage in Jeremiah that says, uh, I know the plans that I have for you to give you future and a hope? That was given in the context of a discouraging prophecy. <laughs> You're going to go into captivity. Don't pay attention to the false prophets. But I have given you a future and a hope. I'm going to take you through this. And in this foreign land, I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to have farms. I want you to have children. I want you to prosper in the hard seasons of life. Godly dreams will send us out of selfish comfort zones. I think we've said that in more ways than one. It will propel you forward out of the nest to pursue this dream that won't let you go that God has given you. Godly dreams will tread out trajectories for others to follow. People are watching you. Your children are watching you. Your grandchildren are watching you. Your peers are watching you. If you do not pursue the dream God has given you, you're probably going to be frustrated and you want them to follow in your footsteps? Paul had a dream of following Christ. And he was bold enough to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? He had God-given dreams, night visions, directing him. But he also had thoughts and desires. I'll prove it to you. Towards the end of Romans, and in another place, he mentions a desire to go to Spain. It didn't happen. He died. But you know what? The gospel made it to Spain. So his dream was fulfilled. Right? America needs this word. I mean, Martin Luther King had a noble dream. But people are letting go of it and compromising and coming up with some other stuff that's going to only delay the dream where justice flows like a mighty stream in America. Godly dreams will ultimately fulfill our unique calling. You are made to pursue what God called you to pursue. It will happen. Do not quit. Sure, everybody's not excited about it. Some people may denounce you, but you know what? They're not your enemies. They're just helping you purify the impurities out of your dream and make your calling and election sure. Godly dreams will violate the plans of our enemy. He hates it when we have God-given dreams. He'll distract us with dreams to make us afraid or dreams to fill us with lust or dreams to just get us distracted. Godly dreams will frustrate the kingdom of darkness. Godly dreams will wake up dormant lives. Some people are the walking dead. They're just existing paycheck to paycheck. God didn't make anybody to just exist. Well, if you were as beat down as I was, you would understand. I know. I can imagine. But don't stay that way. Go to somebody for some help. Get some counsel. Don't look for somebody to blame. That doesn't do anything but lock you into the, being a victim. Wake up! <laughs> don't just be a dreamer, though, or a schemer. 
Be a man and woman of God who pursues God with all their heart and uses their imagination for him. Godly dreams will exercise God-given giftings. He's given you abilities to use for his glory. I knew a guy that had an idea to bless the songwriters in Granbury. And he had a songwriter's kind of a round table. And it was an awesome event. But because it didn't make him a superstar overnight, he stopped. What was it? It's always about others. Always about others. He had a hold of a good thing and let it go. Godly dreams will yield to the one who gave them. It will never replace him. He gave them to you. He gave you the ability to pursue them. In the meantime, I know you've got to put bread on the table, but don't stop pursuing the Lord in prayer while you're doing something that may be temporary. And godly dreams will zealously, yeah, I had to put Z in there, zealously increase our capacity to endure. Don't flake out. We're called to endure. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. Why? Because you're developing endurance. And when you have endurance, you develop hope that is unshakable. So, let's bring it home. Where are you? If you're pursuing dreams without pursuing God, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be distracted. You could actually be led astray. Stop it. Start pursuing God. But if you've given up on your dreams, stop dreaming. That's the second kind of person. Because dreams are evil or because you're, you're scared of getting your hopes up and all that. You know what doing that does? It actually stops you from pursuing God. You just live this lackadaisical life from day to day, week to week. Start hoping again and let the fear of disappointment drive you to the Lord in prayer. And then finally, if God has actually given you a dream, maybe a night vision, a day vision, maybe you were in a trance, maybe you were asleep, or maybe you're not even sure. Tell somebody you trust about it. Interpret it and apply it to your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who fills us and empowers us to be what you've called us to be. Thank you, Lord, for the good news of the gospel, the truth that you came to the earth to bring new life. I pray, Lord, you'd awaken every sleeping soul in the house today and that you would focus every distracted soul in the house today. In Jesus' name, amen. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You
Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And maybe your dreams got crushed. Maybe you were married and your dream marriage got crushed when your spouse left you. Who knows, it takes two to make a marriage and one to destroy it. Maybe you had the dream boyfriend or girlfriend and you were going to get married and something happened and it got crushed and you're afraid to dream again. I just want to pray for broken hearts today. You just put your, let's all put our hands on our hearts. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would strengthen our hearts. Whether it was an untimely death or a breakup or a disappointment, bankruptcy, whatever went wrong, Lord, you know. I ask you, Lord, to heal my brother's hearts, heal my sister's hearts, and restore us and strengthen us and set us free to dream again. In Jesus' name. Lord, those things that concern us, we give them to you in prayer. We give you our children. We give you our grandchildren. We give you our church. We give you our nation. <laughs> Lord, enable us to dream again. Put our hopes in you, Lord. In you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Dream again, partners. Go get them, Tigers. God bless you. Amen.